What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. All right, what's going on? Welcome back from a holiday weekend. Big week coming up. We got two projection shows. We got a live mock draft with listeners. And as always, we're going to be reading your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. It is Tuesday, late late morning, I guess, 10.30 a.m. Eastern here. I'm Adam Azer with three analysts today. Heath Cummings and Chris Towers are going to be looking at their projections. Jamie Eisenberg is going to be giving his thoughts as well. Got to wish Chris Towers a happy birthday, though. Happy belated, Chris. Sorry, hey. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't text you on your birthday at midnight. Oh, it's okay. I was I was deep into a five hour karaoke session. Really? At that point, so that would I been, um uh, I set off some fireworks to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, Chris. you know, I was I was about nine before I figured out that everyone was lying when they said all the fireworks were for me. But I appreciate you, um, you know, continuing the tradition. Thank you. <laughs> it took really a long time for you to figure that out. Chris's birthday. I was a really forward. gullible kid. Okay. <laughs> and Jamie's here as well. Good. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Happy birthday, Chris. Thank you. And happy 4th of July to everyone out there, even though it's July 6th. Hope it was a great, great weekend. I made awful cheeseburgers. But other than that, everything was great. Scott Fishbowl is underway. Who has made more than three picks? I'm in round six. No way. (laughs) Turbo Scott Fishbowl. I have made one pick. One pick. Three for me. Heath, how about you? Two. Two. All right. All right. All right, Jamie, what do you got so far? What pick did you have? I had the fifth pick. uh, So I started with Kelsey and Tannehill before the reversal. Uh, I was thrilled to get Kelsey, Kelsey at five. Kelsey five, wow. Yeah, we started uh, three quarterbacks in a row. Went Mahomes, Allen, Kyler with our first three picks. Uh, the great Eric Young, uh, who, as I told you on the live show uh, when we did the Scott Fishball mock draft, picking in front of me, he got McCaffrey at four. Uh, so Whoa. he didn't get Derrick Henry as he did in our mock draft. And then I took Kelsey. So I took Tannehill to screw him over because yeah. I know he wanted Tannehill. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, the last of my top ten quarterbacks available. So quarterbacks went really flying off the board there. And then I went, uh, I've taken three running backs in a row. So I went uh, Kelsey, Tannehill, uh, Akers, Dobbins, Gaskin. 
Kelsey Tannehill, Acres. Oh, a lot of a lot of uh, running backs there. Okay, uh, yeah. so this is a, a super flex league. So QBs go really early. It's also tight end premium. So tight ends get a huge boost. That's why Kelsey is often going to be a top three pick. He was in my league, and he I was think in I Chris's saw league. a few picks. He, a few leagues, he went one. Yep, I could see it. Yeah, I took him two. Yep. Okay, so Chris, what's your team so far? Through, oh, you have Kelsey, Kelsey at number two. <laughs> We've already That's had right. someone removed from our league for uh, for timing out on their first pick. That's it. It has not gone well in the Beyonce division so far. Oh man! Uh, and Heath, how about you? I had the tenth pick, which was not very much fun for the first two picks, but it's about ready to be more fun. Um, I took Dak Prescott in the first as the sixth quarterback off the board. And then by far my most controversial pick, um, probably the whole draft. I took Aaron Jones with the third pick in the second round ahead of Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and Jonathan Taylor. Wow. And I had the fourth pick. And Chris Heath was saying it's about to get a lot more fun for him with the 10th pick. That's because there's a third round reversal. It does, it does not snake in the third round. It snakes after that. But basically, if you have the, let's say, the 12th pick, you have 12, 13, and then 25. So uh, it's great to be at the end. Yeah, the more I think about it, it's really great to be at because the, there's so many good players. All the quarterbacks go early. Right, right. And uh, I had the fourth pick. I took Dalvin Cook over Darren Waller, which is a very tough decision because Waller outscored Cook in this format last year. But uh, I took Cook, and then I took Brady, and then I got Mark Andrews with the 33rd pick, which I was pretty happy about. Yeah. Okay. How high did Pitts go in yours? I I think he's still on the board. No, no, I'm sorry. He went he went three picks before Andrews. He went yeah. four picks. He went 29th. And then he Goddard four, two he picks. Fourteenth in mine. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, premium. No people are in love. Two two three picks after George Kittle. It's funny, Adam. The guy who has the fourth pick in my league also started with Dalvin Cook and Tom Brady. Really? All right. I'm pretty happy about it. I love Brady, and we'll tell you why. We're gonna do uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers passing game projections. Um, first, some intro questions about your projections. Heath and Chris both doing them this year. And what was your toughest projection, Heath? We'll start with you. Your toughest projection. And we're just, if you could, stick with the NFC. This is our NFC show tomorrow, AFC. Just the entire Philadelphia Eagles offense. Um, everything about them. You've got a couple of coaches, um, the head coach and offensive coordinator, who come from systems in Indianapolis and with the Chargers, where the head coach, Frank Reich and Anthony Lynn, have a lot if they don't call the plays they have a, a very heavy influence on that so i don't know that we have a great idea of exactly what type of offense they'll run that's more complicated by the fact that they have a quarterback who played three and a half games last year and they either ran it with him a dozen times or he threw it 45 times depending on the game script so and then you've got this these question marks about Miles Sanders' workload and how much they want to use him as even a, a semi feature back and then you've got a rookie wide receiver. Zach Ertz is still on the roster. It's that that offense as a whole is just a major struggle for me. And I don't have a great deal of confidence in a projection for any of them. Chris, what was your toughest projection? I think it probably has to be New Orleans, just because there are such widely disparate potential outcomes for the skilled players on that team based on who the quarterback is. And we really don't have any reason to believe that either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill is more likely than the other one to be the quarterback. So uh, I kind of just had to make a copy of the tab in my spreadsheet and just keep two 
uh, going just so I can at least keep them in my mind what I expect, you know, if Jameis is the quarterback versus Taysom Hill, because, you know, you're probably looking at a at least a 50 pass attempt, if not more difference uh, between the two of them. You're probably looking at a different uh, different pace of play, depending on who the quarterback is and just how much they're going to use Alvin Kamara based on which guy is under center. It's just figuring out what that's going to look like, figuring out how much it's going to look like the Drew Brees offense um, is really, really difficult. This is, you know, two player, two players in the top 25 or 30 picks in most drafts. So it's really, really important right. to get it right. Mm-hmm. And it might be the hardest to get right right now. Jamie, if there's an NFC team that would give you fits in terms of rankings, who would it be? Well, I think they hit on the, you know two of them. Obviously, um, you know, with the uh, all the change in Philadelphia, with as he said, you know, the the lack of um, the the lack of knowledge that we have of what Jalen Hurts will do over a full season with better targets, and then New Orleans with the quarterback situation. Um, Trying to think, if there's a third one. You know, I guess it would probably be the two teams that could start rookie quarterbacks. You know, with Chicago and San Francisco, just because of yeah. what could happen with those two teams. You know, knowing that. Obviously, Lance seems to be a much different quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo um, and and what that offense could look like with just a different passer there, different from, you know, the C.J. Beathards of the world as well. And then, obviously, if Chicago uh, does, you know, start Justin Fields or at least gives him the start from week two on, so Matt Nagy saves face with the proclamation that he made of Andy Dalton's our week one starter, um, you know, how that team will look as well. You know, so there's uh you know the the rookie quarterbacks probably will change some things clearly with those two rosters yeah and that's that's my next question is how did you go about projecting the teams that could start rookie quarterbacks at some point in the season chris what did you do specifically with chicago and san francisco do you project them for a combination of quarterbacks or what do you do there um right now i've got fields for chicago garoppolo for san francisco but that's another one where at some point pretty soon I'm just going to have to create a separate tab. Uh, what about Kyle Shanahan for, for San Francisco? Did you see the video of him throwing the football on 4th of July? Still looks good. Looks good. Might, might have to move him up my rankings. Looks good. You mean on Chris's Best birthday? Of his life. Huh? You mean he throwing a football on Chris's birthday? On Chris's birthday, yes. He yeah. threw uh, from, from one rooftop to the other and uh, looked pretty impressive. <laughs> he, I think he's cool. I'd like to hang out with him. Oh, if you saw the video, you'd like to hang out with him. Looked a little toasty and uh, <laughs> dropped, dropped an F-bomb after he hit the throw. Really? <laughs> does that, but does that add to the hangout appeal for Adam? No. Football coaches, they're just like us. No, you. I cannot stand hanging out with inebriated people. I hate it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so Adam doesn't want to hang Speaking out. Speaking of which, anymore. we got another on Tuesday night. <laughs> um, yeah, last night I had to tell the story about a different podcast of Nando's last day, which was... Last show, which was always a fun story. Um, yes. I, t- I told the same story, and I told them to ask you about that story. Yeah, I actually don't really like telling the story that much because it, it, when you can't say what the bleeps were, it's not that great of a story. Uh, all right, Heath, what about you? How did you project the Niners and the Bears? So far, exactly like what Chris said. Um, I do, th- and, and I, I would probably lean more towards changing the San Francisco one if things go really well for Lance than I do the Chicago one. I just can't believe they're going to make it very long into the season starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. But Yeah, that's the thing for me is like I think Garoppolo is better than Andy Dalton, and so I think there's a better chance that if Garoppolo starts the season at quarterback, he hangs on to the job than it does Dalton. And the conventional wisdom before the draft was that Justin Fields was more ready than Trey Lance yeah. immediately. Maybe not mm-hmm. 
as much upside. But right, and then there's the also we're probably probably thinking the the Bears give them credit. They've had quarterback disaster for a while. They still managed to end up with pretty good teams, but we probably think the Niners are going to be better than the Bears. It's harder to make a quarterback change when your team is successful, unless you're the Dolphins. So that's another factor there. Uh, tonight, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, come join us for a live mock draft with Nando DeFino and some others from around the industry. We're going to be live on the Fantasy Football Today YouTube channel at 7 p.m. So that, And we're also giving away Fantasy Football Today merchandise, so you definitely want to be there for this one. 7 p.m. at YouTube. That's part of the Scott Fishbowl. Yes, yes. Uh, great, great giveaways tonight. YouTube.com slash Fantasy Football Today. Adam Rank, Joe Pisapia, and Nando DeFino are all joining us. Hit the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash Fantasy Football Today. We're going to be live at 7 o'clock but if you sub- uh, Eastern. If you subscribe, you'll know exactly when we're going live. All right, we'll see you there. Some quick news and notes. There's been, there have been a lot of reports, beat writers coming out with speculation, and the Niners' backfield's been part of it. Uh, you had There was one article in The Athletic with two different 49ers writers, and one of them said... Raheem Mostert should be the starting running back when healthy. Uh, and then Matt Barrows, another writer for the Athletics, said they want to run the ball more than 500 times, and he expects Trey Sermon to get a lot of carries. Jamie, did you come up with any big takeaways from what has been written recently in the Athletic about the Niners' backfield? I never anticipated Raheem Mostert not being the starter. Um, you know, I, I think even when they drafted Sermon and as good as Jeff Wilson finished last year, that Mostert would be the guy that they would give the first carry to. Um, you know, you have to expect that they're going to rotate guys. That's what they've been doing. You have to expect that Mostert might deal with an injury at some point that's happened to him uh, more times than not over the course of his career, which has been a problem for him. Um, some of the stops that, you know, he's been able to stick with some teams, but he's still their most talented running back going into the season. Sermon may prove to be that guy by the end of the year, but um, the fact that uh, the that Mostert has fallen to the spot that he's fallen to, you know, as um a mid-round pick, you know, I think is going to be one of the bigger steals because if he stays healthy, he's going to be a very productive fantasy option. He's not going to catch the ball very much. We know that. Uh, but still, in this offense, how they run the ball, uh, if the quarterback situation does improve, could be even better. But this is still one of the best running teams that we're going to see in the league. And Mostert's going to be the first guy to get the crack at the at the full-time job. And and the 500 rush attempts is a lot, but also with the 17 games, just running back rush attempts alone, they were on pace for 453 over a 17-game season two years ago and 420 last year. So they've always been – if they want to run the ball just a little bit more, maybe that's a word of caution against the pass catchers because they were already a very run-heavy team. That's the thing about doing a process like putting together projections, and that that's one of the things I thought about with this team in particular was it's really excited to get it's really easy to get excited about Brandon Ayuk it's really excited to get really easy to get excited about George Kittle less excitement about Debo Samuel but once you actually start adding everything together it can be kind of hard to make all those guys work as you know the value where they're being drafted yeah um Course. And especially so if they run the ball more. Especially, and again, you don't know if this will change, but because nobody ever has had more than six touch. I always forget it's five or six. I think six touchdown catches under Kyle Shanahan. It's really weird. So, you know. Yeah, Kittle's never had more than five. Kittle's never had more than five. I don't know if anyone's had more than five under Shanahan in in those four seasons. It's I definitely not more than in six. San Francisco, in yeah. San Francisco, yeah. Definitely not more than six. Um, let's get a couple of Chargers notes, Heath. Dave actually mentioned this when he was talking about Justin Herbert, but we kind of glossed over it. Uh, Brandon Staley, the head coach, he says he wants the offense to run through Justin Herbert. I'm not sure if that's news or not. 
<laughs> well, better. Well, look, he, he, is, he could say he could say, "Well, I want to be a run team." <laughs> no, he's no, that'd be the stupidest thing to say ever. All right, then it's not news. That, <laughs> that's fine. There's one fine. note I saw. I don't know if you we've talked about this on the podcast, but you know, Mike Lombardi being a, a New Orleans Saints guy, there's been a lot of talk. Joe Lombardi. Joe Lombardi. Yeah. Sorry that that they would want to go with, you know, that they want to run a similar offense to what the Saints have. I think Jared Cook said it's like. 40% of the offense is overlapping with the Saints, and that's more true in the passing game than the running game. So I think that's an interesting thing about the the Saints offense and what that could potentially mean, or the Chargers offense and what that could potentially mean for Keenan Allen, who, you know, just like Michael Thomas, great route runner, excels in the in the short and intermediate area. You know, he, he could be in line for maybe his best season ever. Except the problem with that is that they're talking about Mike Williams playing that role. Oh. They, they did say Mike Williams yeah. going to play the X, but yep. he doesn't run the same types of routes either. It's it's confusing because yeah, it the, is. I don't they, I don't think that they'll just have Mike Williams run Mike Tom, Michael Thomas routes. That seems like, but no, I do think Mike Williams should be expected to have a career high in targets from everything they've said. Right. This is uh, this. If, if you take anything away from the the Charger stuff, uh, there, there's two things. I, I don't know if you're going to bring up the running back situation, but yes. Um, yes. The, the the two things. One would be is that Mike Williams is probably getting uh, a little too underrated um, based on where he's been going. If this is going to be the opportunity for him, I think a lot of people look at the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't pick up his fifth year option. So, you know, it's it's like, are, are they moving on from? To me, he's this year's Devontae Parker, Corey Davis. He's he's that guy. You know, it's the same setup. You know, failed first round pick who hasn't lived up to expectations that could have a career year out, out the door. Uh, for Parker, he stayed in Miami, but you know, it was it was the same setup. Um, the running back situation, Adam. If you want to introduce the news, I mean, it's oh uh, yeah, the uh, Sports Illustrated's Fernando Ramirez thinks Justin Jackson's roster spot could be on the bubble. So the number two running back behind Austin Eckler is is fairly valuable. And something that you're going to draft late. So I had been thinking it would be Justin Jackson, but now I might have to pivot from that, Jamie. Well, it, it, it you know, the, the way that he framed it was he basically took, uh, the writer took the draft capital point of view that Kelly was a fourth round pick last year, I think. Yeah. Um, and Larry Roundtree was a sixth round pick this year. And that those two guys are, are they're more invested in those two guys as opposed to Justin Jackson, who was a seventh round pick a few years ago. And I forget the other guys that they listed. Um, so, you know, he did write in the story in the breakdown of it that Jackson, if he has a strong training camp, will easily be on the roster, um, but that they'll still be competing for the those backup touches or those secondary touches behind Austin Eckler. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on. But for, you know, best ball drafts, for dynasty moves that you're looking at, Kelly seems to be a little bit more firmer entrenched on the team right now, according to some reports out of Los Angeles, if you're just looking at it from what the writers are saying. Yeah, I, mean, I think probably their preference would be that they don't have to carry Justin Jackson anymore. But for that to happen, Kelly or Roundtree is going to have to be better than him. And Roundtree's a little bit more of a physical guy, you know, so right. he's he's a different running back than the other two. Kelly is somebody that could probably play a little bit more of Eckler's role if they needed him to. Uh, obviously, Justin Jackson as well. Um, obviously, they don't want to have to have that situation arise as they did last year when Eckler missed time. But, um, you know, if it is the Saints offense, if it is what Eckler has been, Eckler is in line for a monster season, you know, just as the pass catching running back in this offense. And if you look at what he was able to do once he came back from the injury playing with Justin Herbert, it was fantastic. So uh, there's a lot to like about Austin Eckler this season. 
And finally, Josh Gordon applied for reinstatement. He's now 30 years old. He did not play in 2020. Does anybody see a reason to put him on a dynasty roster, Josh Gordon, or any roster? If your rosters are deep enough, if you can put him in an IR spot or, you know, stash him, it's not a bad flyer to take. But, I mean, we've been down this road how many times since, what, 2012? Right. Um, You know, it's just an unfortunate situation. Hopefully he gets his life together. Hopefully he gets a chance to play. Um, Obviously, as uh, the sports world is, you know, uh, discussing marijuana and and suspensions for it and, you know, substance abuse, it's it's an evolving conversation as, you know, the track and field world is dealing with. Um, So, you know, hopefully Josh Gordon's life gets back on track. He gets another shot at the NFL and he's able to play. All right, let's get into our projections. Here we go. So I, there's so many projections, obviously. They're projecting every relevant player in the NFL. Couldn't go through all of them. I picked one per division. I'm going to start with the NFC North here. And remember, these are just NFC projections. And David Montgomery, who Chris has for 290 carries. Heath has for just 246. And these are all 17-game projections for everyone, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 246, not a lot. And Heath also has him at four yards per carry and Chris at 4.3 yards per carry. Really, I mean, look, Chris has David Montgomery projected for 1,246 rushing yards and Heath at just 986. It's a pretty big difference. Chris, you're more confident in the workload and the production for Montgomery. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, you look at a couple differences between us. One is I think Montgomery is going to be a little more efficient. Um, I think that's just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the difference is there, but I'm regressing him more towards, you know, the 2020 numbers and league average 2019. He was so inefficient in 2019 that it it feels safe to not entirely write that off because he did do it, but, you know, to to assume that he's going to be better than that. And then... I think the biggest difference is just how we're projecting the split between runs and passes for this team. I I would expect if Justin Fields is the quarterback, uh, they're going to throw a lot less than they would otherwise, and certainly than they have in the past couple of years. And maybe that's a faulty assumption. I'm I'm totally open to the idea, but I have Fields projected for uh, 547 pass attempts. Heath has them for 607. So, um, you know, I think that explains much of the difference. Heath? Yeah, and and I listen, I think Justin Fields is probably the most accurate passer that Matt Nagy's ever had in Chicago. Um, so, and I don't know, like, I don't necessarily think they're going to be a good team. So I think game script will lend itself more towards passing. And Nagy has had a problem the last couple of years of saying, yes, I know I need to run the ball more and then going out and calling 45 pass attempts the next game. So as far as the run pass splits, I've got them projected for a slightly higher run rate than they have had in the last three seasons. But that's probably Uh, more fields than anything. Right. And I've got I've got Fields and Tariq Cohen and Damian Williams combined for about 165, 170 rush attempts. So that's a main reason why you don't see quite as many for Montgomery. But 246 does seem a little bit low as well. The problem is, where do you have him projected in terms of in your rankings, Chris? Uh, he is RB19 in PPR, 17 and non. So okay. are we not that far off? I've got him 21 and 22. Yeah, you're, you're the lowest on him, Heath. Jamie, you're kind of in the middle. And I think Dave is slightly the highest. But everybody's got him in you know, the 18 to 22-ish range. Um, 
So yeah, I got yeah, a good go stat for Montgomery if you want, just fantasy points. Of course. Uh, so he's played. No, we're not really games. interested in those here. He's played 19 <laughs> games with uh, with three Cohen, uh-huh. both healthy. He averages just 10.7 PPR points per game. Yeah, but that's pretty much all year one. Right, well, I, mean, every- I can only give you the numbers that I have. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I can't tell you what's going to be in year four. <laughs> but, but no, but it, but well, yeah, right. But do you care about that? I guess that's my follow up. Do you care? Yeah, about I mean, that- I care. I care that he's got somebody that takes him off the field and in, in the thing that really helped him last year. I do think that, like, and it's not. I don't know how much different Chris and I are on Tariq Cohen's workload. But that will have a huge impact. If if Tariq Cohen is not the same guy and they phase him out and it just goes back to what they did last year with David Montgomery, Montgomery is going to be a top 12 running back and a, and a great value in drafts. If Tariq Cohen gets the same workload that he did the prior two seasons, then I'm not sure David Montgomery can deliver top 20 production. And it's also, you know, look, we don't know what Damian Williams is going to do, you know, what his role is going to be. Um, if he's going to make the team, you know, I mean, he's, he's a year older, he's a year removed from football. He's, you know, going to a coach he's familiar with. He played with Nagy in Kansas city, but, um, you know, it's still, can he still be that impact type player that we saw with the chiefs, even as a role player, you know? So, um, I think Montgomery, you know, it, it, it's, it's a projections aside, it's, it, it's, you know, where, where he's being drafted, you know? And, and I think that's the. The tricky part with him because he's going to end up, I think, if people just continue to push him down, a great, great pick. Well, wait, wait, but, so give me the rounds that you think he because right now I wouldn't take him before round four. You but, would, right, right. You know, I mean, I've seen him in round three. You know, I see people get excited. Like he was, he went in the in the fishbowl. Um, I don't, I, I could tell you when what pick he was, but you know, like the the check group was like, oh my god, great pick, I love that, and I was like, oh okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, people are split on him. He went uh, with the last pick. In round four. So, um, but he went ahead of Dobbins, Carson, Swift. Or maybe I'm looking at this wrong with the reversal. I'm not sure. Edward Solaire. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the grid format. I'm sorry. So that's um, 64th overall. Yeah, went, but this is, I, mean, the, the, I really, you can't really take much away from that sure, because sure. tight end premium, it's super flex. Uh, so uh, he, let me tell you where no, he's I'm sorry, going. He went after those guys. That, that was what the reversal. Rank these players. This is where he's going with. So I think that's a fine spot for him. All right. For, for Hold 12. on. Rank these players, right? Because this is where he's going in NFC ADP, which is half PPR. Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Chris Carson, Josh Jacobs. The only one I'd put ahead of him is Carson. Yeah. Carson, Montgomery, Sanders. You said Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Jacobs fourth for me. Yeah. I think I have a Carson, Jacobs, Sanders, Montgomery. Oh, wow. And then what about ETN? Behind, 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 behind all. all of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. One thing I'll point out about Montgomery is uh, the schedule, right? Last year, anyway, it seemed like almost all of his good matchups were late, and he crushed them. But we always talk about that. Oh, he had this great schedule down the stretch. What we don't talk about is that he had a pretty hard schedule before that. In his first nine games, he faced four teams that were top five against running backs. He faced five teams that were top eight against running backs. Uh, he had a couple of easy matchups, and he did pretty well in one of them. But, you know, it was so concentrated. The uh, the schedule was so kind of very hard early and then very easy late. 
All right, let's go to our next projection here, and that is the Seahawks wide receivers, because last year Tyler Lockett actually had more targets than DK Metcalf. You both have them basically tied in targets. Heath, you have Metcalf at 130. You have them tied, 133 apiece. Chris, you have Lockett at 126 and Metcalf at 124. I just did a uh, profile on Metcalf with Jacob Gibbs. It aired on Fantasy Football Today in 5, and one thing that he liked was that late in the season, Metcalf... It seemed to Jacob that Metcalf started to overtake Lockett in terms of targets. And look, I guess it just depends on where you start your your sample. But if you look at the last seven games, including the postseason, Metcalf had 63 targets and Lockett had 48. Metcalf had a 28% target share, Lockett 21.5% target share. That's the last six regular season games plus the one playoff game. Heath, does that matter to you? Because that's a big thing for Jacob, I know. Do you, you've you obviously projected them for the same amount of targets, so maybe you didn't see anything that leads you to believe that Metcalf's going to overtake Lockett in that area. And, like, when this is a thing, because we have a lot of these. We've talked about it a lot with the rookie running backs. We've talked about it in a variety of ways. When this is a thing, that's usually where I miss because I, for the most part, I generally think what happens over the full season, unless there's something that caused the change that we know about or there's somebody talking about the change that can confirm it for us, I just I lean more heavily on what happened over the full season. A 16 or 17-game season even if you include the playoffs, a full 20 games is such a small sample size that it gets more dangerous when you start dividing it up, I think. But there are times where that does point to something happening. I just generally would like to have something else to confirm it, some some other reason for it happening or some other confirmation from a coach or a player that it did happen. And, and I, I would say it really is ultimately in this case about arbitrary endpoints because – yeah, the last seven games, including the playoffs, Metcalf had a much larger role, but that also includes the fact that Lockett got four targets in week 11, in week 12, and Metcalf got 13. If you yeah, start it but Lockett, the week before, it's a lot closer. If you just do the eight last eight games right. of the regular season, yeah, it's the uh, same. Lockett had one more target. So it's, right. it's it, unless something happened, like Heath said, unless something happened between week 11 and week 12, you know, like it, there wasn't a buy, there wasn't, a, you know, it's hard to put much stock into it. That's not to say that it doesn't have value, but generally speaking, full season statistics are more predictive than half season statistics. And um, I just, I also, there's the fact that, you know, during that final seven game stretch of the regular season, it's not like the passing offense was humming. You know, it's not like they, they made a change in philosophy and all of a sudden things got much better. And you can point to that and say, well, maybe they'll try to continue working in that way. Um, we don't really have that here. We do have Metcalf being better than Lockett last season, but I just think given the type of players that they are, you know, Metcalf's going to be better, but I think Lockett's still going to get close to the same target share. So that's the the one other thing is I did actually start the offseason off, I think, with Metcalf continuing to grow and taking a little more of the targets from Lockett. I readjusted that with all the talk coming out of Seattle about how that much they're trying to get the ball out of Lockett's hands quicker. Because I do think, like, yeah. if you look at the types of routes they've succeeded on so far in their careers, Lockett is better on those short area targets, and he gets targeted a lot more on those short area targets. And so I think that there's a chance that the offensive philosophy change could lead to more targets for Lockett. And Jamie, what do you think about the targets Lockett and Metcalf? I wouldn't be surprised if they're close. Um, but I also think, you know, Heath just brought up where, where I think a lot of people are leaning is that 
you're hoping Metcalf takes that leap. You're hoping that the 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 next evolution of DK Metcalf as he enters his third season is that the route tree expands. That you know what what he's been sort of complaining about, you know, secondary to Russell Wilson, which kind of gets overlooked because he's a wide receiver, not a quarterback. Is that you know he said that the offense got stagnant, you know, and and I think that's kind of been the uh, underlying theme of what the Seahawks uh, offseason has been is that you know change of coordinator is going to bring about some you know differences in how things are done, that they're not just throwing the ball down the field and they are letting the wide receivers do some different things with the ball. Now, if I'm the uh, Seahawks and I see Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, I would want to get the ball in DK Metcalf's hands more because he's just a physical freak. And so, you know, the the more touches he gets, the better that team will probably be. So um, I I think DK Metcalf has a higher ceiling. So I would hope that the targets are a little bit more slanted in his favor. Uh, 27% to 21, probably not that much. Uh, like you said, Adam down the stretch, but you know, maybe 25, 21, um, you know, something uh, a little bit closer, but still in, in Metcalf's favor, he deserves the ball more. He should get the ball more. Um, so uh, the Lockett's ending up, you know, just to be a great value pick, you know, you just have to deal with some of the highs and lows. Cause that's the player he's been, you know, if you just look at the sample sizes, as Heath alluded to uh, over the course of his career, you know, it's not just last year. I mean, that's just kind of the player he's been, you know, he'll have some really hot stretches and he gets cold for a while. Um, you know, that could change if, if he's running different routes, but, um, he'll, he'll end up being a very good value pick, you know, round five and beyond. Yeah. Metcalf is an interesting pick cause I'm looking at NFC ADP and he's wide receiver six just after Calvin Ridley and just before Justin Jefferson and AJ Brown. But in our drafts, I feel like he's more of a third round pick. I'm just looking at one we did a few weeks ago. He went in the third round. He went after, he went after AJ Brown, after Michael Thomas, after Keenan Allen and just before Terry McLaurin. And it seems like that is sort of a, a tier right there, ending with Metcalf and McLaurin or something like that. And then and then after that, you've got, you know, your Allen Robinsons, your Bucks wide receivers and whatnot. But, you know, NFC ADP has Metcalf at the beginning of the tier, basically. And, and our draft seems like he's at the end of the tier. Maybe that's because we're more of a full PPR default and uh, NFC is half. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting range because Metcalf, Jefferson, and Brown, they're all very similar. Uh, players in terms of, you know, they're, I guess, Jefferson and Brown, you can see being more true alpha wide receivers, whereas, you know, Heath, Heath and I at least think Metcalf's going to split uh, targets more, but they're they're not going to be the 140, 150 target guys, most likely. Ooh, so. A little respect to Julio Jones, huh? Yeah, I was going to say. Like, <laughs> sure, sure. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. But I do still think. AJ Brown's going to get more targets than him, but yes, that's fair. That's interesting. Um, so you think Met, you? Oh, you think he's going to get more than Jones? Or you think he's going to get more than Metcalf or both? I think Brown's going to get well both. Okay. Yes. All right. What? Who? Uh, let's finish it with that. First of all, AJ Brown or DK Metcalf, and who gets more targets? Uh, Brown for both for me. Uh, I think Metcalf gets more targets now. Who are you drafting? Uh, Metcalf and non and half, AJ Brown and PPR. I think we'll catch a ball more. I'm drafting AJ Brown over Metcalf. I have them almost the same targets, but I do think I have Brown at four more. Okay. Yeah, I think Tars will be close. All right. We will take a break when we come back. Why does Heath have Dak Prescott projected for 72 more pass attempts than Chris does? And uh, what the heck's going on with the Tampa Bay passing game? Is it going to be a pretty even split between the top three guys in terms of targets? We'll talk about that next on Fantasy Football Today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And we're back to look at the NFC East, and the team we're highlighting is the Dallas Cowboys here. By the way, remember your emails. Hopefully you have time for them later. Fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. That is the letter I. Please send your emails there and your Apple Podcasts. Comments and questions are always appreciated. Leave us a nice five-star review. All right, so Dak Prescott, the pass attempts are big here, and the production is big. I mean, not only does Heath have Dak projected for 72 more pass attempts than Chris does, he's got him projected for about 800 more yards, only one more Mm. touchdown. But this is a big, big difference in projections. Chris, where do you have Dak ranked? Uh, he is QB five, six, I think. And Heath, for you? The same. He's seven for me. Sorry, I'm, I'm just a little lower. But I only have him five points behind Josh Allen. Okay, I thought you had him fifth. You have him fifth or sixth? I, I have him ranked fifth, yes. I, I, in the okay. projections, he's sixth because Russell Wilson's right there with him. I see. Okay, well, what uh, is this? Uh, this is noteworthy, right? This is a big thing. It's a big difference here. Yeah, I, I think probably like this would be really easily explained. I would guess that I am leaning more heavily on Dak Prescott's production with Kellen Moore than and largely ignoring Dak Prescott's volume without Kellen Moore. Chris, is that it? Uh, I think that probably explains at least some of it, but I think the bigger difference in looking at it is I have the Cowboys projected to run like 1,100 plays right around there, 1060. Like, yeah, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but I think Heath has them projected to run uh, about 50 more plays than I do. So that explains the decent They're all pass plays. Um, well, I, no, it's not they're all pass plays. Like if you look at, Dak Prescott in 20 games with uh, Kellen Moore calling plays has averaged 40 pass attempts per game. Right. And I've, that would be 680 passes over a full season. So I've actually (laughs) drawn him back a little bit from there. Yeah. But like, I'm being conservative. (laughs) I think you're, you're being aggressive on the plays run um, at 1150. I'm at like 1120. So there's that gap. But I think the bigger thing is you have him throwing a couple, you know, a little bit more often. I do think the efficiency numbers are are pretty similar. Um, I have him for the same amount of touchdowns, actually fewer interceptions, um, and a similar yards per attempt. I think it just it comes down to pass attempts, really. That, that's the biggest difference. And I could definitely see the scenario where they lead the, the NFL in pass attempts, and I would imagine you probably have them leading the NFL by – a significant, a significant margin here. Oh, tied for t- with Tampa Bay. Okay. Um, I don't know. I could see that happening, but I, I have him fourth in pass attempts. So I think maybe it's just you have a little more pass volume overall for the league uh, than well, I do. I find it interesting that you're pretty far off on the stats in terms of 
800 passing yards, uh, like what, 70 or 80 rushing yards, and uh, no, about 60 rushing yards, one and a half rushing touchdowns, and yet you're not that far off in the rankings. So what does that mean overall about your quarterback projections? Chris, just 100% a tier thing. for It's a a tier discussion for me. Like I said, I've got Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Dak Prescott within four and a half fantasy points of each other. Yeah. The next quarterback after Dak Prescott is like 30 points behind him. Okay. I do wonder if maybe since you seem to be higher on quarterbacks overall, you know, last season was a historic season for passing. Um, but that was at least somewhat heavily weighted towards early in the season when there were much, much more uh, high scoring offensive games. There were much more high passing yardage games and it kind of settled down. Um, it might just be that I'm regressing a little more for, uh, you know, passing yardage in general as well. Um, but one thing I wanted to look at, you know, Dallas, obviously Dak Prescott was on pace for what? 6,000 passing yards last season, Mm -hmm. um, in the four and a half, four and three quarters games he played, let's call it five. Um, he was never going to throw, you know, he was on pace for also like 700 pass attempts or something completely ridiculous. About 50 so, a game. And they were a very pass-heavy team in those five games. But actually, if you look at the, the situation neutral, so when the score was seven points either way, between seven points trailing or seven points up, they were 10th in pass rate at 59% in, in neutral situations, which is, that's high, but it's not it's not necessarily as high as it seems based on the total yardage and past attempts. So, you know, they were pat playing from behind a lot. Their defense was, you know, pretty historically awful in those first five games. So, you know, that, that does weight the numbers a little bit. And it's hard to know what an Andy Dalton led offense can tell us about a Dak Prescott led offense. I would guess not very much, um, but I am assuming a little more regression to being, you know, a pass-heavy team, but not so dramatically, I guess. Yeah, I've got them at 56.7% pass rate. Yeah, I'm at 54. Okay, I just want to clarify, just correct a number that I gave. I said about 50 pass attempts per game. That was in his first four games. If you factor mm-hmm. in the fifth game, it's 44 pass attempts per game for Dak Prescott. All right, Jamie, you want to add anything on Dak, or you want to go to the Bucks guys? I mean, the Cowboys are about to be the most overdrafted fantasy uh, players that we're going to see this year because they're going to be on hard knocks and they're already very, very exciting to begin with already. So, um, you know, I, I think Dak could push himself into the top three yep. if he looks great. I think uh, Zeke is going to push himself back into the top five if he continues to have these wonderful workout videos everybody keeps uh, falling in love with. The receivers are obviously very exciting to begin with as well. Hopefully, Mark Cooper's healthy. This is going to be great offense. You know, if that line is right, um, you know, the Cowboys are going to be. Uh, all, all drafted in, in the, the top Cowboys are probably all going to be drafted in the first four rounds. Yeah, and then Gallup, maybe round nine or so. And that brings us to Tampa Bay, another team that should have a great offense, maybe the best in football, look like the best team in football, fair to say. Are they your Super Bowl favorites right now? No. Chiefs. Yeah, I'd still say Chiefs. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're the NFC favorites. Can we say that? They yeah, are. Per, yeah. Vegas, Vegas has said so as well. Rematch. Oh, I know what Vegas says. You guys are. You guys have more credibility than those guys. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the wide receivers. I'm going to give Jamie the first word here, but I'll just lay it out. Um, I'll just give targets. 
Heath has Godwin at 117, Evans at 123, and Brown at 117. So that's the they're all within six, and Godwin and Brown with the same amount of targets. Chris has Godwin at 114, Evans at 111, and Brown at 97. So you have Brown clear, clearly third. Um, Jamie, do you think it will... What, what, yeah, what do you think overall? Do you think it'll be close in targets? Does that mean that the best value is actually going to be Antonio Brown? Like, give me your quick little breakdown here of the Bucks wide receivers. The best value is Antonio Brown. I mean, because if he plays, you know, the majority of the season, you know, he's he's clearly got still the talent enough to be one of Tom Brady's go-to guys. He showed that in his, you know, short stint at the end of the regular season before he got hurt going into the playoffs or in the playoffs. Um, this is a great receiving core. And, you know, you factor in the tight ends, it's, it's hard not to spread the ball around. They finally have a pass-catching running back that they're going to use that they didn't have last year to the same level of what Giovanni Bernard is compared to, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. This this is just a a, a, a buffet for Tom Brady that he's going to feast on. And and it's going to be unfortunate for fantasy managers, I think, because, you know, you're going to fall in love with the names and Mike Evans with his consecutive streak of 1,000 yards uh, seasons and, and double-digit touchdowns that he just had last year and Godwin with all the hype that he had last year and still showed you some of that promise and obviously Antonio Brown's resume. So uh, value-wise, Antonio Brown's fantastic, but I still think Godwin's the best Bucks wide receiver. I would hope he gets um, not significantly more targets than the than the group, but enough that he stays healthy and hopefully gets a big contract that he didn't get this year uh, because of the circumstances. So I still like Godwin the best. I will draft him over Ed, over Evans. Evans is somebody I tend to avoid just because he's going too high in my opinion. And Brown is somebody if I get him in the right spot, I'll certainly take a chance on him, which is you know somewhere in the round eight range. You'd rather have him than Michael Gallup? Um, that's a great question. I probably would rather have Antonio Brown. And Evans currently is 41st in ADP and Godwin 46th. So do those, I know you like Godwin better, but independently, you know, do they feel like decent values? Talking round four here. It's the right spot that they should start to go. And it's, it's format specific because half and non PPR, I think Evan's ceiling is higher because of the touchdown potential. You know, Godwin just hasn't shown you that yet. But in PPR, I think Godwin's better. Half PPR, you can make a, you know, you're splitting hairs, I think, on those two guys. I do think they're both being a little overdrafted, at least based on my projections. I have them 21st and 22nd. So, you know, but I think they're both pretty close. But Yeah, they, Evans is wide receiver 14 and Godwin's 18. So that would be Evans way. is 14 overall wide receiver. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's um, why... We're having a little, a little bit of internet issues or, or just talking over it. I don't know. That was weird. Yeah. Was that the, was that technology or just human error? I thought Chris's internet was going in and out. A I little thought bit. so, yeah. I okay. think my internet's jacked. Okay. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, Heath, you're up. Yeah. Yes. I, um, I, I have Godwin and Evans both in my bus column just because of that wide receiver 14 and wide receiver 18. I don't – and I don't like it. I wrote about that in the column is that um, – it doesn't feel comfortable saying wide receivers that talented on a um, on an offense that we expect to be that good, but it was just so even between them and Brown. And you know Brady's going to throw at least twenty percent of his passes to running backs, and OJ Howard and Rob Gronkowski are going to score a bunch of touchdowns. So I just unless Tom Brady's just the best quarterback in fantasy, I think it's going to be a problem. Uh, and he was, as I mentioned, the last. What did I say? The last seven games? I think, I think it was, yeah, number three quarterback in fantasy last year. Now, let's take a look at these numbers. 
for all of them in Antonio Brown's first seven games. He played eight games. Mike Evans got hurt very early in the eighth. So we'll eliminate that. That was week 17. Let's just take a look at the splits. Um, Brady was on pace for 4,674 yards and 37 touchdowns. Evans was on pace for 135 targets. He was by far the best of the group. 135 targets, 1,342 yards, and 14 touchdowns. That was Evans. Godwin was on pace for 80 catches on 110 targets, 978 yards, and 7 touchdowns. Brown was on pace for only three fewer targets, only two fewer catches than Godwin, but almost 200 fewer yards, 789 yards compared to 978, and five touchdowns. So Evans, I mean, Evans was a superstar worthy of a second-round pick, basically, in those seven games. Godwin, 80 catches, 978 yards, seven touchdowns. Brown on pace for 78 catches, 789, and five. The numbers, by the way, are a lot better if you eliminate eliminate the first game. They just really, they had a crappy game. They lost 38-3 against New Orleans. And then after that, Tom Brady just went off. It was three or four touchdowns basically every game. But um, that's how it played out last year. Evans with a big advantage over both of them. And it will be a Something very that tough complicates choice. That. Evans was pretty mediocre in the playoffs, or at least super underwhelming. He had 22 targets, 204 yards, so... 9.3 yards per target is pretty good, but only 204 yards in four playoffs. I don't know. Well, no. Didn't he miss the first game or no? I always forget. I know he got no, hurt in week Godwin, 17. I think Godwin and Brown maybe missed Brown one missed game. game. Brown missed a game for sure. Okay, missed Brown one. missed the game. Um, uh, but no, Evans played at least 81% of the snaps. He got his usual role in that stretch. I don't and think even, he was healthy, though. That's the thing. Even he, those last seven games, I mean, it was a lot of touchdowns, and it was a couple of really big games, but he also had three straight games with 56 yards or fewer. Um the thing with Evans was early in the season, especially, he looked like a souped up Julius Thomas or something. He was playing like a like a tight end. It was a lot of touchdowns, but like 50 yards per game early on. And then it took him and it Brady some time to get on the same page, but it finally did happen. Brady was really effective on the deep ball late in the season, and that made Mike Evans much better. If they can carry over that second half momentum, into this season, then we're all going to be too low on Mike Evans because we you know, usually he, are. Big, <laughs> what's that? We we often are. I mean, this guy yeah. for people have doubts about him a lot, and he just always at the end of the day, he just the numbers are there, and he was yeah, second in the NFL in green zone targets, and he was like sixth in red zone targets last year. The thing that I struggle with is one when the games are most important and your production flags like that. You know, what does that tell me? And it, it doesn't tell me anything bad about Mike Evans. What it tells me is that Tom Brady is such a good quarterback that he's never going to force the ball to one guy. He's going to spread the ball around as much as he can. And that's going to lead to inconsistencies for all three of these guys. I think, uh, you know, Evans and Godwin, they feel like high floor players. It doesn't feel like they're going to bust and and be some huge season ruining disappointment for your team. It's just when you're talking about that 14 to, to 20 range at wide receiver, there are other guys I prefer who might have a little more room to grow and, and exceed that price. But in terms of players who are most likely to make a return on investment, I think they're right up there in that group, which is it's, you know, what you're looking for when you're building your team, I suppose. Um, but yeah, well, here's one I'm thing. kind of at the point where Brady's the only player on the Bucks offense that I really want. For fantasy. Everyone else, I just 
I don't want any part of the running backs unless I can get them dirt cheap. And unless it's Antonio Brown, you know, the, the price for everyone else just it feels hard to get a profit on any of those players. Except for Brown. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. yeah. I wish I didn't hate Antonio Brown so much because I would draft <laughs> yeah. him a lot, but he will never be on any of my fantasy teams. But and, I would recommend you know, him. Maybe for, Gio Bernard. I re- recommend Antonio Brown to the listeners because yeah, uh, he's an injury to Evans or Godwin away from from you know getting from being a great value for getting him in the ninth round or eighth round or whatever it might be. Um, all right, so let's read some emails. Emails at fantasyfootballcbsi.com. This is from. Kojo from Ghana. All right. He says, Dear spicy Italian on ciabatta, pulled pork with coleslaw and meatball subs, the indisputable top three sandwiches. No, but I like the passion. In my two leagues, what's that? Like a burger. No, stop. I'm not falling for it. In my two leagues last year, I drafted McCaffrey at 101 and Sanders at 301 in a 10-team league. And mix at Superflex and Mixon at 112 and Drake at 201 in a 12 team league, half PPR. Yahoo gave both of my drafts, a, drafts A's, but I'm sure as you can imagine, both seasons ended up being trash with McCaffrey and Sanders in one league and Mixon and Drake in the other. Can you talk me down off the zero RB ledge for this year? Jamie, can you talk uh, Kojo down from the zero RB ledge? So he wants to go a different route. Well, he's thinking about going zero RB because running back, running back worked out so poorly for him last year. Yeah. I mean, look, injuries, you know, played a part, obviously, with McCaffrey one. Uh, what was it? Drake and who? McCaffrey and Sanders in one league and Mixon and Drake in the Drake. other. Yeah, so another injury situation with Mixon. Um, I think that, you know, what, what we're going to see a lot of is, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it modified zero RB or just, you know, just taking one running back early. But that seems to be the, the safest route because if you can get one of your – top 10, top 12, top 15 running backs in the first two rounds, whoever that might be for you, or uh, whoever ranking, whatever rank list you follow, and then you just start, you know, getting your wide receivers or tight ends or quarterbacks uh, in, in somewhere in rounds one through five, um, that seems to be a, a safer approach if you want to avoid the volatility of what the running backs have been. So uh, pick the running back you like, depending on what draft choice you're at, and then just, you know, take some of those high-end wide receivers or, or, or a tight end or quarterback. Yeah. Kojo, I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. This is from Rufus. You can find a better sandwich. <laughs> Every year we draw names, and the order of names is in the order in which we get to decide our draft position. It is non-PPR, six points for all touchdowns. What do you think is the ideal draft position in a 12-team non-PPR league? I mean, historically, it's first overall. Except for last year. Yeah, historically, first overall tends to have the highest win rate. Um, and I think we all think Christian McCaffrey is significantly better than everyone else. So I would say 1-1. One, one. Yeah. It's boring. It's not. It's it's the chalk take, but sometimes you don't have to overcomplicate things when you got a player like Christian McCaffrey at 1-1. One, one. I agree with Chris. Anybody disagree? I'd probably go three. Just because you're going to get one of Cook or Henry which is still pretty good. And then you get an earlier pick before one. Yeah. I, but does that matter? Do, does you, do you need... Because you also get an earlier third-round pick, obviously, if you have the 1-1 instead of 1-3. And, what, and actually, I bring that up because he's interested in getting either Waller or Kittle in round three. 
And those two picks might make a difference in that regard. You know, Waller Kittle might be available at 3-1 and not 3-3. That's obviously just speculation. You never know. Uh, but that's, you know, that he wants he wants to try to get Waller or Kittle in round three. So with that as a consideration, Jamie, would you stick with the third pick or would you go with the first? Yeah, just because non-PPR, I want to get, you know, more running back capital and you have a better chance of still getting a top 15 caliber running back in the, you know, the 20th, 21st pick, um, 22nd pick, whatever it is. 22nd. Um, uh, as opposed to hoping that I get one of the tight ends in, in the early part of round three. All right. Next email is from no oh Carl from a Canadian city south of Whistler. We'll ask Dave at a later date. Dear Ricky, Ronnie. Will you actually ask, ask Dave? No. Rem, Ricky, Ronnie, Lamar, and Reggie. Dolphins running backs, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, 12 team standards. They had Reggie. I don't even remember now. I, I don't yeah, remember Reggie Bush, Bush like on 2, the thousand yard seasons for the Dolphins. I what? Think. Why do I not remember that? That's strange. Yeah, Reggie was good. Oh, Ricky was a monster at one point. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was great for them. Ronnie and Ricky was the Wildcat. Twelve team standard scoring keeper league. We can keep three Lamar players. Went to a crappy school. <laughs> a crappy school. Did you see this? The, oh, I was all this endorsement stuff with the college. It's awesome. It's weird. It's so awesome. It's well, maybe I'm showing my age. I thought it was Lamar Smith. No, it's Lamar Thomas. <laughs> it's Lamar, Lamar Miller. Lamar Smith is. Uh, I, I covered the Dolphins Colts playoff game, one of the loudest stadiums I've ever seen. Certainly in forty four carries or something that game. Yeah, he was a, just a beast in overtime. Uh, twelve team standard scoring keeper league. We can keep three players max for three years max. So help me pick three. I have the eleventh pick. McCaffrey in the first, standard scoring. Tyreek Hill in the th- in the second. Waller in the third. Diggs in the fifth. Robert Woods in the twelfth. And Dak in the fourteenth. He needs just three of them. He can keep them for up to three years. <clears throat> McCaffrey in the first. Tyreek Hill in the second. Waller in the third. Diggs in the fifth. Woods in the twelfth. And Prescott in the fourteenth. And remember, it is non-PPR. I feel like we just dodged a terrible Azer take on the uh, college. I'll get back to it. Like to like to circle back around yep, that. It's no point. problem. But, no uh, problem. McCaffrey, <laughs> Diggs, and Deck for me. McCaffrey, Diggs, and Deck. Uh, so he keeps him at the, at a first round cost for three years in a row. McCaffrey, yeah. Diggs. Let's pick eleven this year. True, and Diggs in the fifth, and Prescott in the fourteenth. Yeah, no, I was just trying to get the the, the yeah. circumstances. So. But it's at that value for three years in a row. I guess so. Yeah, I think it's McCaffrey, Diggs, and Dak. I would go McCaffrey, Waller, and Diggs. Okay. Uh, no, I I think it's going to be very uh, anti-competitive. I think it's going to be because if there's the one thing college richer. football is known for, yeah, it's, it's going to be even worse. Enormous parody. It's going to be oh, even no. worse. We're have the same two teams in the national championship every year. It's going to be even worse. Thank, Adam, thankfully, it's a, they're little, gonna... it's a little hypocritical. Hypocritical for for a UM fan to get mad about teams being uber competitive while compensating players. I, think I was going to say that like, ridiculous. UM is going to benefit from this. They just had a a, a company sign on. Adam, that's going to give Adam. We've been hearing UM was going to be good for like twenty years. I didn't say they were going to be good. I said they're going to benefit from They've this. They've been paying their players for longer than that. Yeah, they don't actually. They lose <laughs> players to SEC programs that pay more. 
Um, <laughs> that's what they. That's what they say. That's what. That's what a reporter says. Uh, American top teams plans five hundred and forty thousand dollar nil commitment to Miami. So they are willing to give right. every player at Miami the same amount of money, and if every player opts in, that will cost five hundred. That will cost 500 No, this is a bad... I don't like this. This is bad for the competitiveness. No, I'm happy that the players are getting paid. I don't care if they get paid, but they got to figure out a way to do it so that it doesn't just Adam, make the rich get... I Stop just, talking right now. That, that it just doesn't make <laughs> let the, him get his bad take the rich get richer. This is going to be anti-competitive uh, no, for college football. Rich. They're not, no, they're I, just, I don't mean that way. I mean that the schools, the best schools are going to... <laughs> are going to be the best at this. And they're going to say, come to Alabama. We've got all these endorsements lined up. Of course that's going to happen. This is not Adam, fair I, I for FIU. You have to worry about, <clears throat> I don't think you have to worry about UM dominating anyone. It's okay. I, it's very frustrating to have conversations with you when you say things like that. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. From, from uh, where's the, T- Tucker from Rhode Island. Dear Sean, Roger, Timothy, and Pierce. And those are James Bonds. I'm in a seven-year running, 10-team, two-quarterback league with three wide receivers and three flex. Uh, I have McCaffrey. I pick 101. I'm going to take McCaffrey. I can keep up to four players. I'm going to keep Diggs in the third. So give me three more. Let's see. Are there any other? Okay. Here we go. Well, he's giving us... Like all of his keepers. All right, he needs he needs three more. He's gonna keep Jefferson and Herbert in the ninth and tenth rounds. All right. So he needs one more. Keenan Allen in the second round. Um David Montgomery in the fourth. Latavius in the eighth. Goddard in the tenth. And Connor in the thirteenth. Mayfield in the sixteenth. It is a two QB league. So that's interesting. Mayfield. Yeah, it's Mayfield. Yeah, I guess. That's All a right. free spot. Mayfield it is. Good. I don't feel like disagreeing with people anymore. <laughs> We're out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. we got AFC projections coming up later. Uh, well, coming up, we're recording it later today, but you will hear it on Wednesday. We have a live listener mock draft that you will hear on Thursday. It's going to be a fun week here on Fantasy Football today. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.